Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jared Pitney, and today I am joined by Mike Woodside. Mike, thanks so much for coming on. It's my pleasure. So I have known you for a long time. Not like we've been super close, but I've, right. I've known you from afar at least. So sure. I was good friends with Grant. We hung out together, your son, in high school and had a lot of fun together. We were a part of PCW which was Paragold Championship Wrestling. I don't know if you knew about that. Did you know about that one? Oh, yeah. Grant was sending me videos uh, just a couple weeks ago that he had found. I didn't know they were still... that those were still on a cassette tape anywhere yeah. or videotape, and uh-huh. uh, he was sending them to me. Um, and then, even more importantly, we were part of a wiffle ball league, yes, which took place on your property. Yes. And so that was a lot of fun. He was sending me pictures of those two three on three wiffle ball tournaments. Were you, re- did you help with that, or were no, you against no, that? No, what was no, going? No, I refer to where the bases are as far as our property. In other words, down there by home plate. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Literally, I put a light fixture out there on a tree one time. That's right. And I can tell you where the uh, third baseline, I put a steel post because wow. we put conduit down in that. So, you know, you got a flag for the uh, foul line. Yes, it was a really good And field. as we joked earlier... I still find wiffle balls out <laughs> in the back property that's woods. You need to hang on to those. Oh, yeah. You know, I um, do you remember whenever Grant worked for the radio station? Oh, yeah. They had the 4th of July wiffle ball tournament. Okay. Um, and I talked to Big O about this recently. Right. And I hit a game-winning home run and received <laughs> a trophy with the wiffle ball in it. And it is somewhere yeah. in my attic. And yeah. so I have a lot of fond memories of playing wiffle ball. You brought a sign with you. I know you're a big fan of history. You were a teacher for years at uh, Paragould and Tech, or just both? Okay, twelve both. years yeah. at Paragould in the uh, eighth grade physical okay. science, and then at Tech, fourteen years chemistry and physics. Excellent. And then I know you worked at Allen Engineering. We'll talk about some of that a little bit. Sure. But let's talk about that sign. So you came in, and your eyes were, were <laughs> wide. You were happy. You're like, I want you to check out this sign. And yeah. then we obviously got our picture. Uh, you didn't know that was going to happen, but no. we have this map. Which I know you're really big into the maps. And so for those who don't know, we've had a few history lessons here on the Paragold Podcast. Bob Branch has come on a couple of times oh, and talked about goodness. history. His has been fantastic. But but for those who've not heard that, can you give us the abbreviated kind of version of why is the railroad so significant to the formation of our city? Can you give that kind of a, a summary of it? I'll try to be quick. I'll try to talk slowly. Yeah, I've yeah. actually had kids complain, you talk too fast. <laughs> now then, the only way I was convinced, I recorded myself. And, I heard <laughs> and you heard it, like, eh, maybe they're right. Now then, Paragould is an interesting name in that there's no other place in the world mm-hmm. named Paragould. I can't speak French, but I think it's called a parmentou. A parmentou is two things that make one. A suitcase is a parmentou. Two halves makes one. The two parts of Paragould are after J.W. Paramore, the cotton belt man, mm-hmm. and Jay Gould, the Missouri Pacific man. Now then, as the town was not even here, this was woods, mm. their two railroads crossed, and that place is exactly right now underneath the overpass yeah that's not very far from us at all all right and the two tracks crossed each other right there therefore this community was referred to as the crossing Mm -hmm. isn't that interesting Mm -hmm. now the establishment of a community was out on reynolds park road reynolds road not park road but the reynolds road in that field where they bale hay and it was called beulah if you get maps that predate uh, Paragool, you'll see all the trails. Gainesville is like the center, the sure. hub. It of, was like the county seat. And all these roadways were spokes in this wheel. That hmm. being the case, I came across by Danny Howell, a Civil War historian in Jonesboro, a map of Paragool. Excuse me, Green County. Mm-hmm. It was manufactured, produced by a company in St. Louis that sold farm equipment. The real important thing is it had the two railroads, it had the crossing, but it laid everything out according to real estate description of 
range 17 north. I'm sorry, township 17 north, range 5 east. All that was recorded back in the day, and now I can take that and superimpose on present day. Hmm. And it's fascinating to see which roads, like Reynolds Road, it was one of the trails that was on that map before Paragool was even established, you know, pre-1883. So where were they going to? The trails, before oh. Paragool wasn't established, was it coming over here to the railroad? No, no, because, see, the railroad was just uh, something that happened. Just like, you know, there's things out in Greene County that people don't even know about. Oh, anybody that lives nearby knows it. So the point is, Paragool got its name from these two railroad founders. Now then, to simplify things, railroads back in the day would get financially uh, stressed, and they would go bankrupt, and someone would buy it, and they would rename it, typically similar to. So we'll cut to the chase, and the Iron Mountain Mm -hmm. that is talked about, that's Missouri Pacific. And this is the one that Jay Gould, he's a man who's in St. Louis, and he built a railroad from St. Louis to Texas to bring up cotton. Now, he did that, and his surveyors that laid it out started up at the Missouri line, we'll say Corning, and went right diagonally across the state of Arkansas to Texarkana. But it's all flatland on the foothills mm-hmm. of the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. That being the case, went through Little Rock. That being the case, another man comes along named J.W. Paramore, and Mr. Paramore was a cotton merchant. Mm. Well, he wanted to do the same thing. Yeah, they're competing, right? Yes and no. Yes, in that they both interested in getting product from Texas, cotton. But guess what? There's cotton grown in the Delta also. Therefore, Mr. Gould built a branch line. The branch line started at Noble. And right now, that train that you and I heard mm-hmm. is on what's called technically the industrial lead because it goes to the two plants out there. Hmm. But the dispatcher in Omaha talking to that train, the local, will call this the Old Noble Main. Oh, wow. Because Mr. Gould wanted to take advantage of eastern Arkansas, the flatland. So he built a branch line from Noble to Paragool, which the two railroads cross each other. The Missouri Pacific, or the Iron Mountain Gould, it went to Wynn. And when it got to Wynn, the railroad did a right left turn and went to Memphis. Jared, uh, first of all, I wanted to say Mr. Branch, <laughs> yeah. Bob Branch, unbelievable yeah, he's as got far a as lot history. Of knowledge, yes. yes. But another person is uh, Jim Burgess. If you want to know about trains, talk to Jim Burgess yeah, also. Is. Okay. But Jim Burgess is a good friend of mine, and uh, he gave me a Missouri Pacific timetable in 1926. That being the case, people could go right downtown to the depot and get on a Missouri Pacific passenger train, go to Wynn, go to Memphis, shop during the day. There were two trains, morning and evening. Hmm. Shop in Memphis, get back on the Missouri Pacific passenger train, and come right back to Paragol, Arkansas, and get off at the depot. Which is no longer there. Yeah, the foundation is, I know it is unfortunate. It's by Hamburger Station for those who are unfamiliar with it. It is. Mm-hmm. A young lady came to the Historical Society one day and said, I've seen, she was taking pictures. Yeah. She said, I've seen this and I don't understand. Yeah, it's like what, a tiled looking it floor. It is. Yeah, yeah inlaid tile. Oh, it is. Yeah. yeah. But that's where the uh, depot was. Now, right across the street from it, or hotels and all kinds. Yeah, the Vander, the, what was it called? Or the, well, no, you're getting way in the middle of Oh, time. even before, okay. Oh, yeah. The Vandervert was, let's say, from now back to the founding, was more towards three quarters. So there was the hotels founding. right there. Like, were you, Are you talking like early 1900s? Yeah, right. Okay, wow. Now, <laughs> one was right there where White's Printing Company is. And Shrite was kind enough to give me his abstract. And that's a fascinating read in that right where White's Printing Company is, at one time there was an Atasco store. It's like Granger's or, uh, you know, hardware store. Okay. But before then, 
there were actually opera houses, excuse me, an opera house, maybe where the pool hall was. Yeah. But I have maps of a real important thing to remember is most of the structures were built of wood. Therefore, Mm -hmm. fires were really bad news. So a company named Sanborn mapped cities, and they were so well mapped and uh, researched that they were accepted just like surveys. So Mr. Block, the insurance Mm -hmm. company, bought the original survey by Sanborn of, let's say, uh, 1914. Okay, mm-hmm. but some of the Sanborn maps go back as far as 1898. All right, now I just showed you one while ago mm-hmm. where these names mean nothing to you right. because they've been renamed, but the map would have so much detail. Now let's jump to a famous thing about Paragould because we had clay out there, what would be the library? Okay. Library is flatland. Right east of that is hills. And there was actually a brick manufacturing place there. Hmm. If you have historical pictures, you can see where the bricks are laid out to dry out. Paragould is famous in the day because it had a lot of brick structures. I had was, never heard that. Which is not very common. Were the bricks that were used to build the old junior high building, did those bricks come from here? I'm you not know? sure. Because that was I, an old building. That was oh, built yeah. in the... 1926. Okay, 1926. Now, I went to high school there. The very classroom I had chemistry in, I ended up teaching in eighth mm. grade. You taught, did you teach, you taught in that building? Yes. So tell me about that. I, I People who listen to this podcast regularly, they know that I have a, uh, a fascination with uh-huh. that building. So actually, oh, the yeah. house I live in, I live on Main Street. Okay. And the bottom of our house is built with bricks from that building. Okay. Um, and if you walk in, our foyer is a big picture of yeah. that old junior high building. Yeah. Um, what was it like in that building? I know that it probably wasn't as glamorous on the inside as it was on the outside, but it just seems like, like oh, I wish we could have kept that building. What was it like to go there and teach there? Well, of course, it was interesting because my high school chemistry teacher was now my principal that I work for, mm-hmm. <laughs> Mr. Penry, bless his heart. <laughs> uh, he put up with a lot. He worried so much. But anyway, talking about the building, it's interesting because it was heated by a steam boiler. There was actually a coal chute in the back. The janitor who lived down there in the basement, you know, he kept the boiler going. And Jared, we did a real interesting experiment one day. I took a helium-filled balloon and we weighted it down with postcard or something so it would just set midair. Mm-hmm. We took that balloon and put it over one of the radiators and that balloon went to the ceiling and went all the way around the room. Outer perimeter, it was heater, heated. However, it went around the room. We could prove that and hmm. see it, you know. But anyway, you know, the steam knock and all that stuff. And then one time we did an experiment with divining. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have no idea. Okay. I've been a terrible student. You would you not have t- liked me. Well, this is kind of folklore here. Okay. But you can take two sticks. They're bent 90 degrees, okay? And if you go out and want to find water, those sticks will cross the sticks will cross each other, okay? I actually took a coat hanger and a piece of glass tubing, and I'm going to mention a name, okay? Uh, oh, it escapes me. But he was a coroner in Pulaski County, but he came from Paragool, Arkansas. Prudence, no, no, that's his sister. The point is, he was so good at this that we would go out in the hallway, and he could because of his chemistry or whatever, body chemistry, find plumbing pipes that were in the floor. (laughs) We would take tinfoil wrappers from gum and put it under a bunch of leaves, and he could prove where it was. How? Uh, Because of the divining. In other words, he starts walking with these square, I say square, you know, uh, right angle, okay, He's holding them like this, and the two point outward. When he gets over a metal, 
it'll go like this. He's I've a never, conductor he just, or something? He just, I'm sorry? He's like a strong conductor in his body or something? Whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he, listen. That's awesome. You know what his occupation was? No. The coroner of oh, yeah. Pulaski County. And when the tsunami happened out in the uh, Pacific, that real bad thing, he was called in as an expert. Are you serious? Uh, I've lost the name. But anyway, I, Mark, I wish it was Mark, Prudence. Here it is. Here it is. Oh. Mark Malcolm. Mark Malcolm. Yep. Find Mark Malcolm on Google. Mark Malcolm was the coroner in Pulaski County for many years. But anyway. What an he interesting was, guy. He, yeah. <laughs> There's something about his uh, body chemistry, I guess. <laughs> but anyway. That's exciting. So you, well, I'm, I'm going to come back to the railroad, then I'm going to go back sure. to your teaching career. So the railroad, obviously, whenever these two, you know, Paramore and Gould, whenever they crossed, they didn't, no one was trying to create a town, but a town just came as a result, right? And so you're crossing tracks, so now you're getting traffic through here. And then just people, why did people start settling here? Like what went from it just being like a place where trains went through to a place where like, hey, I'm going to establish. Is it because, like the story I think I'd heard is like this was a timber town. And at oh. one point even like there was this, this was a large, a large exporter of whiskey barrels. At one time, like the largest exporter, exporter of whiskey barrels in the world, if I'm not mistaken. So like, was that what was happening and attracting people? Like these meals? Do you by chance know where the community of Brighton is? I don't. It's east of town on the St. Francis River, thereabouts, it had an international headquarters downtown of a box factory because boxes were not made of cardboard back then. Uh, They were made of wood. And these Sanborn maps that I told you about, Uh you can look in the early days, pre-1900, and you will see all of the manufacturing uh, handles for shovels and axes and the industry of working the wood and then just timber you know cutting was tremendous here you could get employment it was just and that started probably when uh what years well it's been before the railroad right no no no, okay so this happened no like i'm saying when the two railroads were built and I didn't get to plug in Mr. Paramore's construction because it's an interesting story too. May I go with that? Yeah, sure. We got we we got you for a here little time here. So, Mr. Gould had built this Missouri Pacific across the state of Arkansas. Mr. Paramore went to Tyler, Texas, and he bought the Tyler Tap Railroad, little bitty railroad that a man had an orchard and he couldn't get his produce to a big railroad. Mm-hmm. Therefore, he built the Tyler Tap. Mr. Par- or, yeah, J.W. Paramore bought the Tyler Tap Railroad and then was going to add to it to get up to Texarkana and then jump on the Iron Mountain and go. He was a cotton merchant in St. Louis also. By the way, he's buried in a vault. And the wrought iron gates to his vault had dollar signs in them. Wow. <laughs> but anyway, there are many Jay Gould, well, excuse me, several Jay Goulds. Jay Gould, the father, the son. When the son got a hold of the railroad, he nixed that agreement about using the diagonal of the state, the Iron Mountain. He said, no, not going to do that. So Paramore then was forced to build the cotton belt elsewhere. So he starts at Texarkana, and a famous person, maybe not to you, but Colonel Fordyce from the Civil War, mm-hmm. was his engineer, as in surveying. He rode the state of Arkansas on a horse three times to plan this Cotton Belt Railroad. Mm. What it did was start at Texarkana and immediately come over to the eastern portion of the state through the Delta, mm-hmm. and... Uh, because of expense, they built it narrow gauge. Standard gauge is four feet, eight and a half inches, okay? It's less expensive to have a three-foot gauge, so they went narrow gauge. But as he came through, well, let me digress. Nettleton, Arkansas, is named after a Missouri Pacific official. The people in Jonesboro didn't want a railroad, so they shunned it. And so they built out in the flats, didn't get into Crowley's Ridge. Now, Colonel Fordyce is riding the state of Arkansas from south to north, and when he got to Jonesboro, they begged him to bring his railroad through Jonesboro. 
Mm. Surveyors balked and said, no, we're going to have to get in the foothills of Crowley's Ridge, and we don't want to do that. Yeah. Gaines so will he, turn them down, too, from what I understand. Like, I think. Well. That, is that true? Uh, I heard, like, that was an original uh, part yeah, of the plan. Yeah, but now, you've got to understand, railroads don't like hills. <laughs> so, Gainesville proper was up on the hill. So, the railroad came in down in the valley. Okay. All right. So, anyway, Colonel Fordyce is begged by the city of Jonesboro. Please bring your cotton belt through here. So he fired those surveyors and hired another crew, and the cotton belt goes through Jonesboro. Down south of Jonesboro, it starts ascending this grade, and there are places where the cotton belt railroad actually, on grade, had a trussle that the train went on and cars went under it to show you the elevation Mm -hmm. that the surveyors didn't want to put up with. So whenever it went through Jonesboro... It crossed over another railroad. It ended up being the Frisco. Right underneath the overpass over at uh, Caraway Road, I guess it is. But anyway, now the Cotton Belt is coming to Paragool. And as it gets to Paragool, it crosses that Noble Branch. And that crossing is right back here behind us at the present 412 overpass. Mm. That being the case, this community at first when it started developing, like you said, people moved from out in the country, Beulah, over on Reynolds Park. No, I'm sorry, Reynolds Road, not Reynolds Park Road. Mm-hmm. When they came to town, they came to the crossing. Now, for some reason, I can't explain why, Mr. Gould would not accept Paragould. And so on the timetables in days past, the Missouri Pacific had to stop at Parmley. Mm-hmm. So if you ever hear of Parmley, that was Paragool. I've heard it's because he didn't want his name to be after Paramore. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, no doubt. Uh, both uh, financial, you know. They were the uh, railroad robber barons, you know, they bad name. But anyway, the railroad got built, and believe it or not, on one day, because it got so unwieldy about having narrow gauge. By the way, there's a point on the railroad at the Mississippi River's edge called Bird's Point. It's up in Mississippi County, Missouri, near Charleston. The trains went there to River's Edge and were literally ferried across to Cairo. Now they're on the Eastern United States Railroad System. Both the Cotton Belt and Missouri Pacific did so. But this was so precarious because of flooding of the Mississippi, and it would wipe out their uh, ramps and so forth. So then a famous bridge got built at Thebes, Thebes, Illinois. It's up by Scott City, Missouri, and the trains now went across on a bridge, steel bridge, that really became important in World War II. Man, you get so much information. (laughs) It's like I listen to you, and I'm like, it's incredible. You guys like you and Bob Branch blow my mind. I, I, I I'm curious, though, like, what I still can't, because I've, I've talked to Bob about this, and I, yeah. I'm, I'm, and I want to ask you, because maybe yeah. you can make it more clear to me, but it's like, <clears throat> I understand, like, the history of the railroad tracks, how they, they came here, but, like, how does that happen with, how do you go from being a, a um, just this unsettled kind of timber land to be in a city. I mean, I know it was, uh, it was several things. I know, like, I've heard, like, Adolf Bertig was kind of the one who is known for really kind of making this a cosmopolitan town. Like, there were others that came. But, like, do we know who the very first kind of, like, like, who were the first people, like, the first types of people who were like, Mr. this is going to become our place? Mr. Pruitt. Okay, he was Mr. kind of the first Pru- one. All right. Mr. Well, I will say so for this reason. You know where 7th and Kings Highway is, right? Yes. We're coming back to Kings Highway in a minute, all okay. right? At 7th and Kings Highway in the southeastern quadrant of that intersection was a log cabin. It was Mr. Pruitt's. Huh. So the obvious name, Pruitt Street. Is that where, uh, like, what is that, Advanced Parks? It is. Okay. It is. Yeah. He had a log cabin. A cabin there. See, it was dismantled and left on the Green County shop, road shops, lots, and it rotted and finally got, you know, discarded. But Mr. Pruitt obviously would be an important person about starting the town, if you will. But Was he a farmer? 
I'm not really sure he about his vocation. He owned a lot of land, though, right? Well, surely he did. Yeah, yeah being, you know, Because I'd heard so he even had, was he the one responsible for selling uh, the land that was became Linwood Cemetery? I'd heard I that. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. Now, do you realize in the day that we're talking about, people who lived in downtown Paragool or the surrounding residential areas, they would have retreats out in the country. Yeah. And Dr. Is, po- yeah. Dr. Poe had a retreat that is now Tech Junior High. The Tech High School, okay, way out there on Center Hill, mm-hmm. all right, was Dr. Poe's retreat. And a lot of people on 49 South had places out of town that they would retreat. What do you mean retreat? Like go camping or like? like no, in other words, to get retreat? away from the hustle and bustle, you okay. know, just lay back and, you know. Yeah. I, actually, I, now this is in one of the editions of the two, uh, volume one, volume two of Green County History, mm-hmm. the Green Books. Yep, I've seen okay. it. Yeah, that's the library. Now, this is actually there, so I'm not making it up. I can't find it again to reference the page number. But some prominent citizens in Paragool had a place south of town. And I think it's where Highway 69 is because I've been watching a concrete structure that's out in the middle of the woods. And I think it was probably the floor of this retreat. Well, they could go out there and kick back, get drunk, you know, do whatever, and nobody would know it. So that's what I mean by retreat. Okay. Getting away. Parties, what I call that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, there were two things, and there's so much. Kings Highway. Mm -hmm. You know how it got its name? I have no idea. I've never heard. That street, when Paragool was first set up, was called Crossing Street. It's on this map here that I showed you. That's cool. Now, some prominent person could be, well, uh, I won't speculate, but some prominent person didn't like their address to be Crossing Street. So they chose the name Kings Highway because Highway 67, when it enters St. Louis, Missouri, is Kings Highway. It's that way in Cape Girardeau, too, right? So it goes all the way up. Yeah. Well, uh, but Kings Highway is the important thing. It's St. Louis. The old, I don't know if King's Highway's on the sign up there, but this man wanted it changed yeah. for prestige, you know, crossing. Sounds you know, great. That's, yeah. But anyway. Um, that's too blue collar. You, you mentioned Burdick? Oh, yeah. Now, I've told you about bricks, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you, oh, I've got to be slow about this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't there, matter. Yeah. There was an opera house, Okay where some gamblers got in a fight, and the fire, uh, it set the place on fire. So this opera house burned down, okay? Now, I was going to tell you where it the is. beautiful but, opera house. Well, right. I don't know about how well, There's pictures it of it, yeah. yeah. It's the same one that First Baptist used to be. Ah, uh, right? that's where I'm going. Okay, all right. That's where I'm going. Okay. As you well know, First Baptist Church mm-hmm. has a building presently built in, I think, 26, same year as the uh, old high school. What a year. Well, where are they? Yeah, where are they going to worship? They took their wooden structure and moved it down to Gentry and Third Street. Okay, and a mission was formed out there, but they needed worship in town. Mrs. Burdick was a member of First Baptist, but now he's mm-hmm. a Jew, and he went down there to the defunct opera house that was rebuilt with brick after the other one burned down on Second Street. Wait okay. a minute, i got to stop you for a second. Adolf Bertig was a Jew? Is that what you were saying? Yeah. That's an unfortunate name for a Jew. Well, maybe that's why he was here in the States. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> but the point is, he bargained. In other words, First Baptist membership on the building committee readily granted him authority to go buy real estate for the church. He bought it at a steal. And there are pictures of a steeple being put on that opera house, which was yes. right catty corner from the post office. Yeah, that's the picture I've seen. Now, after they had their church built, of course, you know, things happened as far as buildings demolished. There was a line oil filling station there, and uh, 
I could go on and on. Ask me a question. Yeah, well, that's all fascinating to me. So you, um, the Pruitt, uh, we'll get out of this and we'll move it. I want to move into some of your present day, like some of your, your life as far as the teaching and, and now engineering. But um, Pruitt, if I'm thinking about this correctly, eventually settled here. Well, do we know why he settled here? No. Okay, we All just right. know. It's, it's not to my knowledge. That's just one of the first prominent names. That's kind right. of a mover and shaker. Right. Um, if you'll notice, none of these streets got changed as far as names. Yeah. Pruitt was prominent. Yeah, because he's right yeah. around here. And um, you mentioned the something I want to circle back on as well is, uh, you know, eventually people begin to settle here, right, right because of the oh, crossing. There was, there but was there employment was, due to the woods. Yes, yeah. employment yeah. due to the woods. Lumber. But then there also began to be some, and I don't know if you've read it, um, Eric Wright wrote it, uh, Mayhem on Main Street. It's it's a pretty interesting read, yeah, and so there was some roughnecks around here, right? <laughs> like there was quite a bit of crime and things like that. Oh, yeah. I'm curious, do you know? And I've I've taken our staff to go uh, to view. Um, do you know why Frank Nash ended up here? <laughs> I know that his sister was here. Is that the only connection? Is his sister just so happened to no, be here? No, no. Yeah, tell me the about story, that. The story is. And by the way, for those who don't know, Frank Nash <laughs> is. For those who are listening, he is and. and you can fact check me on this, Chris, or Mike, you probably know this in here. He was kind of one of the last kind of famous, like, horse, like, bank robbers. Like, he was kind of like... No, no, of, no, no, no. No? was in the day. This was in the day of automobiles, okay? It was, okay. Yeah. I thought he was... But he the- was noted for uh, safe cracking. All right. Frank Nash, otherwise known as Jellybean yep. Nash, is right buried in, in the mausoleum. mausoleum. Yep. Yeah, he's buried in the mausoleum. The here point at Linwood is, Cemetery. Yeah, Linwood Cemetery. The point is, his dad was a hotel owner in Jonesboro, and when the family moved here, I guess another hotel business, he just came here with dad. So his connection to Perigold is only because his dad at one time lived here. Frank Nash ended up going to Oklahoma, and he was still straight. And then, I don't know what happened, but he got this... uh, idea about being a bank robber to make some more money and so he got in with the mafia literally mm-hmm. in that when his funeral occurred of course i wasn't here but the funeral procession procession was gangsters mm-hmm. i mean their I cars automobile it was it was unbelievable i heard it was like one of the first times now, that people had seen limousines and paragold things how like that. would you like to know about how they caught him well, it's a Kansas City massacre. Well, they caught him in Hot Springs, though, right? Yes. Yeah. But at the time, the people trying to get him were government agents, but they didn't have any firearms. They were not issued firearms. So they went over to Fort Smith and got a sheriff to go with them, two agents, to go to Hot Springs, as he said, because all the gangsters are down there. Mm-hmm. But they have the town, lock, stock, and barrel, and they were scared the police would catch them because they'd let the gangster go the loose. The police were all in on that, too, in Hot Springs? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. They they were subject to the whim of the mob. Oh, wow. Because Al Capone had a whole floor, one hotel down there. Really? By in the Hot way, Springs? By the way, Colonel Fordyce built the first bathhouse, and it's a historical place in sure, Hot Springs. Sure, I've been there. I was there a few yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, Okay. So they snuck in, and they caught him. And when they got to Fort Smith to get on the train, someone, you've heard the phrase, loose lips sink ships. Yep. Someone said something, and word got out that he'd been captured, and word went ahead to the mob. And they went to Kansas City Union Station because mm-hmm. his destination was to be Fort Leavenworth. Mm-hmm. But the Kansas City massacre happened. That finger right there has been in. A bullet yeah. nick on the marble at Union yeah, Station. Chris used to live there. Still there. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. And consequently, Jellybean got killed along with agents. Mm-hmm. It was a massacre. So Jellybean's deceased, and the agents start getting firearms <laughs> because uh, obviously there was a need. But uh, his demise was uh, there at Union Station. Yeah, and now here he is, yep. buried in, in Linwood. Yeah. Um, tell me, we could talk all day. We're going to have to have oh, you back on to talk yeah. about history. You got some, yeah. and I'm so fascinated in history as well. And um, Is there any, before we move out of the history piece, is there any, like, fun fact 
that I may not know like uh, anything or, or maybe it's even questionable, it's debated or people don't know about it. That's something that like the listener would be like, that's something I didn't know about Paragold. That's pretty cool. I want to look more into that. Is there anything when you think about Paragold history from this, some of the stuff you study that you've been like, wow. My God. Well, it's not really interesting and it's not, a, <laughs> it's, it's a fact. Okay. There used to be a, a cafe, restaurant, whatever, uh, where uh, Neesom is. Okay, Trailblazer was the call of it. As the evening receipts were all bundled up, a man who was responsible, and I want to say bland, but it's in that family, okay, a relative. He's going home, and down where Second Wall in that Church of Christ is, Mm -hmm. he was murdered and robbed. Okay, so the guilty parties left town immediately, and because of the prominence of the individual, they knew they would probably get on a train to get out of town, and they caught him at Marmaduke. But they did not come to Paragul because they feared an uprising of the citizens, and so uh, they took him probably to Jonesboro, I guess. But uh, it's interesting how you know things happen. But mm-hmm. uh, this just hit me, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, this speculation. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. How many of you have wondered why, when you take Pruitt Street and go north, all of a sudden it has a jog in it? Yeah. And then you go to 2nd Street, there's a jog in it. Then you go to 3rd Street, there's a jog in it, but that's Gentry Street, and 3rd Street is now straight. Blaine Nunn has a construction company. Mm Mm-hmm. And when he dug a footing for one of his buildings, he found a horseshoe. He did some research. Everybody knows who Ben Crowley is, Mm -hmm. Benjamin Crowley. Yep. He had children, and he said, you guys are going to have to move out. Mr. Crowley's son had a farm right there at Blaine Nunn's place. Now think about it. All these streets in Paragool are going due north. Well, then all of a sudden... There's this... Yeah, what's that about? Well, no, normally things are laid out either parallel to a railroad or uh, magnetic north or geographical north. Yeah. But the point is, this famous person is out there. And as Paragool is first set up, they don't have a 4th Street, 5th Street, 6th Street. It's just the three streets. Well, the Crowley is down there on 8 Mile Creek. So they're going to make the roads go to North End Avenue to his place. To me, that makes sense about why all these streets are crooked and not straight throughout. Now, finally, there came a time, we're not going to keep up this nonsense. In fact, the guy probably wasn't on the farm anymore. Mm. But uh, Francis Bland actually told me, this is Herb's dad, Mm -hmm. that when they lived where Herb lives right now, that he and his brother went to that place I just mentioned on the Eight Mile Creek and milk cows because their family had uh, cows down there. And he said, Bob would always get us into trouble, you know, goofing off and everything. But still yet, uh, the jog in the streets, I'm speculating, but I'm almost positive because Blaine uh, actually found a horseshoe as he was digging. And uh, it wow. goes back to a Crowley son from the... Big man, Ben Crowley. Yeah. That's cool, man. I'm glad yeah. I asked that. I've yeah. never heard that before. Yeah, I wish you'd ask because I'll go on and on about it. Uh, oh, uh, excuse me. I'll jump off the rails, if you will. Pardon <laughs> the pun. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I like that pun. So we were just talking about uh, Chris Bringard came on. Oh, I guess yes. It was a couple of weeks ago by the time this airs, and he's been incredibly successful. But you said you had yes. him as a student. and Eighth um, grade, yeah. His brother also. That's really cool. I'm curious from all the years that you were teaching, and my wife just got a, a job as a, a public school teacher, and so – this is bless her heart. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm curious. What's your what did you enjoy about the teaching? And oh. kind of what is what's maybe your big takeaway? Uh, so, like, yeah, first question is this: What what did you enjoy about teaching public school for those years? Just the fact of teaching. Give me a subject. If I don't know it, I'll study it and I'll teach it. Mm. I was in the National Guard having been in the Air Force during the Vietnam era, as I had rank due to being in the Air Force, 
I retired after four years. <laughs> I spent time not in the military and then persuaded by Gene Prince to join the National Guard. So I spent 16 years in the Army National Guard. That being the case, I didn't go to Army basic training. We never held a rifle except once in the all, all four years that I was in the Air Force. Well, these guys knew about explosives, knew about all kinds of things that I'd never trained in. I said, guys, I'm your leader. Uh, that would be a, a squad leader, mm -hmm. okay, not a platoon leader. But anyway, we're in this together. I am a participatory manager. I will get us fed. I will get us showers. <laughs> I'll turn your names in. But when it comes to the nitty-gritty of cooking up explosives, mm -hmm. I'm going to depend on y'all. We're in this together. Mm -hmm. Now, the only problem will be if you and somebody else has two, I'll have to decide between the two. But let me tell you, another guy, uh, Ivy Heron had him employed over there, and I'm struggling for the name, uh, Pillow, okay? Pillow was under me, and we went to Camp Robinson one year and had an assignment, but we were attached to a bunch of other National Guardsmen from other towns. When the job had to be done, they wouldn't do it. And so Jackie started digging with a shovel and embarrassed them to the point. <laughs> Jackie Pillow. Jackie Pillow. Mm -hmm. But uh, what a guy. Uh, so uh, Anything teaching. Yeah. So Bible. So oh, I love to teach Bible. Really? Sunday school. Oh, yes. Man, we're going to have you come preach here for me one Sunday. I went to Mission Outreach for 10 years. To teach. And had Bible study. You just love teaching. Yeah. What does he like about teaching? Just people. Say again? What do you like about teaching? Just kind of seeing the light bulb go off for people? Like, oh, oh you better believe that's it. That's what gets you excited. And what's neat is I would always teach physical science with experiments. And believe it or not, I would teach a concept, and there was one demo that kind of got us in a bind. But a student, because of his knowledge, I'm struggling to get the name. He applied what he had been taught and reverse engineered it and suggested, what if we went and got a vacuum pump? Bingo. Yeah. Mm. And, well, what it was, a Cartesian diver. Do you know what that is? <laughs> okay. <sorry. laughs> Tony the Tiger. Cornflakes? Oh, for sure. Kellogg's? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Okay. Yeah. Now, now you're talking my language. Yeah. They had this little cute item called Tony the Tiger. You get a plastic soda bottle, uh -huh. fill it with water, a little bitty air pocket in the top, drop Tony the Tiger in, diver, Tony the Diver. Okay. Squeeze the bottle, and when you do, the Cartesian Diver, take an eyedropper. Now, it has a rubber top, okay? You fill it full of water so it just barely floats, okay? Top of the rubber on the mm -hmm. stoppers at the surface. But if you put pressure on that bulb, the rubber top, mm -hmm. okay, it doesn't displace as much water, and it will start diving. Turn loose of the bottle, and it comes back up. Mm. Now, here's what we did. I had an eight-foot fluorescent tube, cleaned out that poisonous powder. It was clear, eight-foot-tall column of water, okay? So we put the diver in there. And we had a squeeze bulb, and it'd dive. It would finally get so low in the water that the water pressure squeezed it, and it went all the way to the bottom. Now, it's sitting down at the bottom. How are we going to get it out? This kid realized if pressure caused it to go down, what if we went back in the storeroom and got the vacuum pump and put a vacuum on it? Just brought it right <laughs> up to the sun. But a kid applied wow. the principle and reversed. I'm realizing now what made you such a likable teacher and good at it is. Who told you, you that? Uh, well, <laughs> I've heard several. Is Yeah, Chris has got this video pulled up here on YouTube. Uh, you, you are, uh, you are a, a, I promise this is a compliment, and I want it to be true of me, is it seems like you have not lost your childlike wonder and imagination oh, yeah. and curiosity yes, yes and as you get older the temptation a lot of times is you become more logical and more of a person of reason and just cynical and i already know everything <laughs> and and you've not lost the wonder you've not lost the curiosity and i think that is incredible what would you say is 
your biggest takeaway from teaching? What did you, what's the thing you learned the most that was about well, people or just? If I, if I ever see a former student, oh, this is a funny thing that happens, okay? Uh, I had John Deere, so I go get parts. Well, there's a parts man out there that is a Navy veteran. Well, we're veterans serving in the same era, so we're buddies. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a kid out there. I say kid. He's a grown man and married and so forth. But the point is he was an electricity class student of mine. So I walk in, and he calls me Mr. Woods. <laughs> and the other guy said, does Gary owe you money or what? <laughs> Anybody that addresses me with Mr., I know right away it was a student because mm-hmm. they can't, they can't, you know. Mm-hmm. I had the same thing with our band director. Sure. Oh, so close. Got me into ham radio. But Mr. Cooper, I, you know, I couldn't call Would him John. It always be Mr. Cooper, right? Yeah, I couldn't call him John. But anyway. How did you get into um, Allen Engineering? Like, is that just another case of like <laughs> – because that seems like, because you did some engineering type work, obviously, for them, but that wasn't necessarily your background. And so that's that's very impressive to me, like the fact that you're able to go out there, because that's some kind of, I mean, I'm out there now as a chaplain some, so it's like, I know that's, that's some complicated stuff when you're looking at. And so is that just a classic case of you being a learner and saying, I can read this, I can, if you can give me the manual or whatever, if I can tinker with it enough, I'll figure it out? When I worked down there... I was asked one time, we have this machine that has uh, computer-generated operations. And I was asked by the supervisor, can you come out and fix it? we got a problem. And I said, okay, Matt, where's the manual? He said, we don't have one. I spent probably an hour drawing a diagram of all the parts and circuits and so forth, and then it only took 15 minutes to figure out problem you've got to know about how to read diagrams mm. so jay mm-hmm. incidentally well first of all let me back up my dad and Dwayne allen were good buds okay okay very close dad was an electrician and he would find expensive used equipment that was not defective somebody remodeled or whatever so he would take it down there to Dwayne. And I had the pleasure of taking my mother and my brother to a place on in the plant, on the property, that had Dad's handwriting on the wall, literally, when he was marking some stuff that he mm. had done for Dwayne Allen. So first of all, Dwayne Allen and the plant are dear to my heart because of my dad and Dwayne Allen mm-hmm. and Mary Ann. Great people. Mm-hmm. That being the case, fascinating story about Dwayne. But anyway... Uh, Jay's been on the podcast to tell Dwayne's story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. People don't realize is... how big of a, a company Allen Engineering is. That it's, They don't realize Jared, it's worldwide. I have a Russian calendar that has pictured on it the largest finishing trial that is made in the world. And it's made right down here at yeah. Allen Engineering. Oh, I can tell you so many stories, but go ahead. Ask. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Well, okay. We'll take this. Do you realize I have a patent? No, I didn't. If know you that. Google Mike Woodside patents, okay, <laughs> I don't own the patent. It was obtained by Dwayne Allen. He has many patents mm-hmm. because that was his love of yep. inventing things to finish concrete. Yeah, he was kind of and groundbreaking. He, uh, and let me tell you, he was known around the world too. Yes, absolutely. Okay, now one time there was problems in Brownsville, Texas. So I took $14,000 worth of test equipment with me to Brownsville, Texas. And one thing that people don't realize is as hard as we try to make this equipment, you know, foolproof and safe and all this stuff, unless you operate it on the job, you don't have a clue. So I got down there and I was finishing concrete and all of a sudden I realized what the problem was. Jared, when you have hydraulic systems, you have to worry about uh, a blockage somewhere. So you have to have a fuse, if you will, pressure relief, rather than blow things up, literally. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the pressure relief is set with a spring. And if enough pressure builds up, that spring will then get compressed to the point that pressure relief. It dumps the uh, high pressure. 
what was happening was this. First of all, these machines are powered by a diesel engine. The diesel engine then turns a pump, which creates the hydraulic pressure, and then the rotors that finish the concrete with the blades attached to them, they have hydraulic motors, and you got a closed loop. Engine, hydraulics, physical motion of finishing concrete. I've got to do this, okay? Go for it. Because St. Louis is so strongly union. My wife and I went to a 50,000-square-foot warehouse floor, and that machine I just described, the big one, Mm -hmm. okay, finished the concrete. Okay? Now then, when the finishing was done, I couldn't understand why all these people were lined up on the sideline. They were union employees. They got down on their hands and knees and went across the floor as if they were finishing it. So that machine, one machine, took the place of 30 people doing it by hand. But they were union, and they were not going to be denied a job and pay. Mm. Now, this is St. Louis. Okay. Back to Brownsville, Texas. I got on the machine and realized what it was. Now, you know enough about it so far that if I got into a tough spot, I'm waiting on that spring to release the hydraulic pressure But in the meantime, the engine is being loaded, and it starts drooping in RPM. Well, once I get into a not-so-bad area, the spring never did pop, but the engine has drooped, and it can't recover. But I have it recorded. This stuff, $14,000, would record spikes in a hydraulic system to the hundredth of a second. So I came back with all this data. It popped into my, oh, I see what it is. We can't depend on that spring release. So the hydraulics engineer designed a hydraulic over hydraulic, and Dwayne got a patent on it. Mm. And every time somebody worked on a project, Dwayne had their name on the patent. Mm-hmm. So I helped, oh, you talk about, are we out of time? No, yeah, I'm pointing him. He's, he's pulling up on the internet. <laughs> I had the privilege of writing the technical aspect of the patent application. Of course, there's a law, he had a lawyer from Little Rock. He's a ham also, by the way. But he wrote up all the mumbo-jumbo legalese. But uh, Dwayne depended on me to then write the technical aspect aspect of it that being the case the only disappointment i had this is funny the only disappointment i had is they weren't a fancy title of that device okay so i've forgotten what it even calls for on the patent but i wanted to call it an unloader because that's exactly what it does Mm. and do you know present day that's what they call it in the industry (laughs) oh yeah that one's got an unloader yeah that one's got an unloader hydraulic riding trial with automatic load sensing system (laughs) that's easy to remember Uh, otherwise known as an unloader but anyway (laughs) uh, i got paid quite handsomely Uh, for writing all that and too it was a joy because i mean you know jay was smart enough to then offer this to customers. If you will come to Perigal, Arkansas, I have an employee who will teach you electrical, hydraulics, and mechanical aspects of this machine. He will test you. You'll get a certificate, and then you go home, and when you order parts, you'll get a discount. Wow. And by the way, if you have a small warranty issue, you're certified now to do that. And so the machine doesn't have to come to. And Paragol. you were teaching that stuff. Yeah, that's, that's exactly that's exactly what I taught in physics, yeah. in the school classroom. Now let me tell you this. <laughs> okay, as these people would come from New York, South Texas. Okay, they travel a long way to come to this. You know, so finally Jay says, "Mike, can you put this on the road? Can I put this on the road?" My wife and I, for six weeks, drove to, excuse me, flew to California, taught the class. Now, get this. There's three days of class, the three subjects I talked about. But in the afternoon, I taught theory in the morning, but in the afternoon, uh, we got dirty. We took Mm -hmm. apart pumps and, you know, all this stuff. And I established quickly at the beginning, 
guys, you're experienced mechanics, 20 years experience. You know more than I do. But let's get this straight. The problems you fix are the ones you've always seen. What about one you've never seen before? You need to learn how to read a diagram, and you can troubleshoot by this piece of paper and figure out where the problem is, and you've never seen it before. Okay, so I had their confidence, but I had to do one more thing. I did this in the classroom, too. I can't remember names, so I took a deck of cards, and everybody got a face card. That being the case, I said, put your name on it. So as they put their name on it, I had it in my pocket, and what I did was have a PowerPoint presentation of theory. Like, do you know what Pascal's Law is? Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, here it is. Now, here's the verbiage. It explains it. That's how hydraulics work. So you got to know Pascal's Law. Well, you don't need to recite it, but do you understand the principles of Pascal's Law? So here's all this verbiage. And I said, okay, guys, here's how this works. I'm going to pull out a card, and I'm going to call on that person to tell me something about what's up there. However, if you read that and you don't understand something, you raise your hand and ask, mm. okay? But if you don't ask, I've got one picked out, and I'm going to call on this person that I've got, so you better buy your home-free card or safe. Mm -hmm. Well, a few of them got embarrassed because the very thing that they would ask about was exactly what I had in my <laughs> mind I was going to ask. So we're going along of the morning and the afternoon, three days. Well, notice, we're in California. We've talked for three days. Okay, we flew out there. We rented a car, put these 600-pound toys that I have, pumps mm -hmm. and all that stuff, in the back of a uh, SUV, drove all up the California coast to Oregon to teach the next class. Wow. But we had three days to get <laughs> Dwight's paying for this all this time. Teach the class in Oregon, okay? Got on an airplane and came back to Arkansas and shipped the 600 pounds to Canada. Got on an airplane and flew to Canada and taught the class. Came back to Paragool on a plane, got in a company truck, and went to Orlando and taught the class. Mm. As we left Orlando... We went all up the eastern coast because the next one's in South Carolina, so we stopped in St. Petersburg, the historic, mm -hmm. you know, Florida. As we then get to close to Philadelphia, that was in between the Carolina stop and the New York stop, we went by the Liberty Bell. And, of course, after New York, we went by Niagara Falls. Dwayne is paying for this. Yeah, road six, trip, man, the six, ultimate road trip. Six solid weeks of this. Mm -hmm. When I got back, my intermediate boss said, uh, well, I'm sorry we haven't been Ah, uh, you don't need to feel sorry. <laughs> the hardest thing we had to do was figure out where we were going to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and Wayne was paying for it. It was fabulous. That's you know? awesome. I, I love it. I'm sitting there thinking, I wish I had your mind because I wouldn't be. I could have wasted a lot. Or I could have saved a lot of money if I had well, your mind. I'm trying to fix a pool do, leak right now. And I'm like, man, do, if I was Mike Woodside, I'd have to not, figure it out. Do not ask to see my high school transcript. Oh, well. Nor. Don't nor, ask to see mine. I won't show. Yeah, I won't nor, ask to see yours if you don't ask to see mine. Nor my college transcript. Now here's what happened. I was in the Air Force, right? Mm -hmm. I got out of the Air Force, retired after four years. I went to night school to get this teaching certificate. Oh, I had to take classes at ASU. Now I failed to mention when I graduated DHS in 1964, I immediately went to ASU and I was going to be an electrical engineer. Yeah. You have to study, but I didn't do that. So mm -hmm. the college transcript in those days, horrible. I went to the University of Arkansas and quit college because of the low grades. Joined the Air Force, and while I was in basic training, I got a, notice the Vietnam era, I got a uh, show up for the drill, <laughs> and my drill sergeant said, uh, you don't need to worry about that. <laughs> but anyway, after the mm -hmm. tour of duty in the Air Force for four years, I went on GI Bill to then go to school and really study mm -hmm. <laughs> and get grades and become qualified to teach. And one of the, in the teaching profession, you go to a block of classes that are for teachers, prospective teachers. That being the case, this one instructor said, Oh, Mike, you'll want to be an administrator. And I said, nope. 
Mm-hmm. I don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. I want to be in the classroom. That's and cool. I want to teach. And that's what I did for 26 years. That's awesome. Yeah. I'd love to have had you as a teacher. There's so much more we can talk about, but I want to, for the sake of time, move us into some rapid fire questions. Are you ready for oh, these? Oh, my goodness. I think so. You're on the hot seat now. Yeah. All right, here we go. What is the last show or movie you watched? Or if you don't watch stuff, what's the last book you read? Uh, I haven't finished it, but uh, Mark Lev- Levin, the uh, American Marxism. Oh, it's scary because he's dead on. And it was published several years ago, but it's dead on this mess that we're in right now. Mm, what did you say it's called? American Marxism. American Marxism. Okay. By the great one. That sounds like a Mark book Levin. I do not want to read right before I go to bed. Yeah. Um, favorite band? Oh, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Herb Albert? No, no. Alpert. Alpert. A-L-P-E-R-T. Okay. Well, were you alive in the late 60s or early 70s? I was not alive then. (laughs) I didn't think so. He was famous then. There it is. They look great. Yeah, yeah. Those Uh, are some nice mustaches. Pick up the one, (laughs) Empanema. Empanema is my favorite. We can't play it on this. They'll take us off the... uh, Yeah, yeah, right. But uh, Grant tells me that Empanema is a town somewhere. Okay. Is Grant like them? Well, is he a fan of their music? He's he's really uh, developed a taste for music more than uh, you know I would have imagined. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway. We talked. We had a uh, lunch together not long ago. And yeah, he was talking about some of the music yeah. he listened to. We also talked about food, which is a good segue in our next question. What is your favorite food? What's your favorite meal? <laughs> hamburgers and French fries. That's it. From I where? drive. I drive people nuts. Well. Hamburger steak. That's what I was about to ask yeah, you. Yeah. Hey, come on, man. There's a big hey. debate going on around who has the best burger between well, Roy's Hamburger Station and yeah, Dog and Suds. Yeah. And, uh, man, I'm a, I'm a, I can't eat them anymore. Do you know who free. owns Roy's? Mm, Roy? <laughs> no. David Harris. David Harris's dad was a school teacher at Corning. And at the same time, he was double dipping, acting as manager of Paragool Cablevision before the city took it over. He would report to Boston, well, not Boston, but Waltham, Massachusetts, and they had no idea he was teaching school at Corning. David Harris Jr. owns Roy's, okay. but David Harris's dad was David Harris, and he was quite a character. We're going to have to get one of them on the podcast. Yeah. As a matter of fact, David lives in this uh, haunted house, if you will, Hurt Grocer Company. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Him. Right beside us. That's him. Why that's do you him. call it the haunted house? Well, I'm Is just it saying haunted? that. No, but it, it looks, looks kind of spooky. spooky. Yeah, it looks spooky. That's where David, He's, that's where he, the guy that owns Roy's lives here? Yeah. Yeah. I, now then. Now we then. always wondered who lived there because I don't ever okay. see anybody coming and going from it. If you will notice, there's a red pickup truck. Behind Skinny J's, yeah. the entrance to the place. At one time, he and his mother, and I don't think the sister, Tracy, but, um, you know, they Have you ever been in there? No, I haven't. I haven't either. No. I like, I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard someone say there's a whole lot of arcades upstairs. Someone who really? went there and did yeah. heat and air work. And so I don't no know. No telling. So I, I'm interested. I want to be, let's, let's go, let's go uh, knock on the door and try to get in there. Okay. You and me. Okay. We can do it. Uh, what is on your nightstand right now? Well, that book, like I said, a lot of medicines, <laughs> the cell phone on the charger, and uh, that's about it. Okay. Um, give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life, just a normal moment in your life that brings you a lot of joy. Oh, in the classroom. Mm. Man, when I go anywhere and I see kids, I can't remember names, but I said, I know you. Were you in my classroom or on my bus? And this one little girl said, where do you go to church? She was visiting our church, and I remember that. But what I always like to ask kids, like I'd like to ask Chris, okay, what do you remember about the classroom? Not necessarily me, but sometimes I'd be told things I didn't know was going on. Mm. (laughs) And one relative of mine swears up and down that I spanked her. I don't remember that, but she said she talked too much, and she got in trouble because she told her classmates, I'm related to him. He won't paddle me, and then I... I, You called it, yeah. Yeah, she says I did, but I... Now, her sister... You're a fair man. 
her sister caused a fight between two boys that wrestled literally on the floor in my classroom. Did you break it up? Yeah, I had to. Man. <laughs> what, last question here. What is one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now? Oh, my goodness. Well, salvation, of course. Mm. But uh, upbringing, mm. mom and dad. Mm. Uh, dad will be pretty well well known about a generation because he was like me personable. <laughs> I can't resist talking to people. In fact, some people find it obnoxious, and I know who they are, and when I see them in an aisle way at Walmart, I'll go over the <laughs> I get on their nerves. <laughs> well, you don't get on mine. I want to be able to spend more time with you in the future. Well, I, I really forward. have enjoyed you. That's the only reason I wanted to have you come on here, and yeah. so thanks for making space to be here. Sure. We'll have to do it again sometime. Okay. And Mike Woodside has left the building. I love getting to hang out with Mike Woodside. Mm -hmm. I've been around him now twice, or in a conversation with him twice. Mm -hmm. Once was actually out here, I think it was at the Get Downtown Festival last year. His laugh is contagious. Yeah. And uh, it really, for the first time, hit me uh, in our conversation. Um, he, he, in the best way possible, he's childlike. Yeah. Like in, in the way that I want to be, yeah. like in a way that like you're not cynical, mm -hmm. you're not uh, man. It just he's, oh yeah, I mean he's fascinated by life. Yeah. Like he's just curious, and things are interesting to him, and people are interesting. History's interesting. I mean physics, all this stuff. I mean I I love it, and because of that, he's learned a lot. Yeah, because he's very curious. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's so important, man. Like if if I would be more curious, if we would be more curious, like rather than being so judgmental or closed off or just kind of stuck, mm -hmm. like we would continue to learn, continue to develop, and we'd make the world a better place. Yeah. Here's something I got curious about. When he was leaving, I uh, walked him out to his car, and he showed me a picture, actually. Uh, when he said he moved here when he was like a year old, two mm -hmm. years old, they lived in like a tent while his dad was building a house. Living he has a picture tent. of the tent that they lived in. Like, that's amazing. That's so, a different type of human being, man. Yeah. Like that's a level of resilience yeah. that I don't know anything about. You didn't learn that in the Paragold Champions Wrestling League, <laughs> Paragold Championship Wrestling. Can we get some? No, videos we to actually post? had um, we wrestled on uh, the Purcell property off Purcell Road, and we put a mattress in the middle of a field. And it, looking back at it, it was so dumb because, like, you know, you'd be picking somebody up to body slam them, but you'd have to walk back, like, 15 feet to where the mattress is before you could throw them down on it because it was fake wrestling, right? <laughs> yeah, like, of course. And so, but looking Opposed back, it's like... to real wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is wrestling. 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 Wrestling's a real thing. Uh, hey, if you're still listening to this, thanks so much for tuning in. Um, if you've not already done so, check us out on different social media platforms. Uh, we're on Facebook and we're on Instagram. You can follow us, give us a like there. And if you've not already done this, please go to Apple, uh, to iTunes, to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating there. That helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people living here. And um, uh, be looking out for this. Starting in July, we are going to be on a food tour with uh, our mayor, Josh Agee. We're going to be visiting different restaurants in the uh, area, in Paragold, local restaurants. And we're going to be uh, trying their food. We're going to be actually giving away uh, gift cards and gift certificates to, to many of these places. And so if you will... Follow us on Facebook. Uh, you can actually share those posts, get a chance to win the gift card, meet the incredible owners and managers who help run those places uh, that provide this excellent food for those of us that are living here in this city. So as always, thanks so much for listening. Until next time.